It is Thursday, March 19th here in Crash Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And of course, he's not actually with me because we're distancing just like most of you folks are. But we're all doing okay around here. And the NFL, as usual, is keeping things interesting for us with a flurry of movement to kick off free agency in the new league year. Jared, you got enough toilet paper and iPhone battery to make it through this time over there? Um, I'm good on TP, running low on food, so I might be, uh, you know, offering toilet paper for for food trade at some point here. That sounds fair. Just make sure that you're tossing it to people instead of going right, right up. Of course, of course. Um, we're going to be recapping the big free agency and trade movement that kicked off this week, looking at some potential winners, some losers, perhaps considering some dominoes that have not yet fallen. I mean, for all the guys that have moved. So far, Jared, there are some significant receivers and running backs still out there looking for new teams. Robbie Anderson's out there. Melvin Gordon's out there. So we're definitely not done with fantasy impact moves yet. We're definitely not. And we should mention, of course, you know, I think at this point, very few, if any of these moves are actually official, um, there's Mm -hmm. still a chance some of these deals fall through. Um, So we'll, of course, be keeping an eye on that. Yeah, there's been some hemming and hawing on the Tom Brady deal in particular, but it sounds like he's doing his physical and he should be joining the Bucks officially very soon. And beyond free agency, of course, the NFL draft is still coming up. The NFL says it's going to happen. And we're doing our Dynasty Prospect Profile Series for free on DraftSharks.com. There are 14 players up there right now. We're adding more all the time, so make sure you check those out. Read up. Even if you're not a Dynasty player, there are going to be some guys in this group who impact redraft rosters right away in 2020. Definitely. It's, it's a great rookie class. I think I found my guy at wide receiver for, for this class. Um, His profile will be going up on the site next week. Oh, I was going to ask if you were ready to give him away, but yeah, let's save that for next week and see who that is. Cause I don't even know yet. Yep. All right. So we will focus on the free agents and the trade moves today though. And Jared, let's start out with this. Whose fantasy outlook do you think has benefited the most from the moves that have happened so far? Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy here who I think, you know, a week ago was barely even on the fantasy radar. And now I think there's a chance he's a top 12 guy at his position this coming season. It's Hayden Hurst, who was traded from Baltimore to Atlanta. Falcons basically gave up a second round pick for this guy. So, you know, they, they paid a pretty big price. Hurst, of course, was a first round pick of the Ravens a few years ago. Seemed like a bad pick at the time. I, I still think it was a bad pick. That said, you know, Hurst has been basically a non-factor in fantasy over the past two seasons in Baltimore, but he has been pretty good, pretty efficient when he's gotten the football. Um, His 8.3 yards per target over the last two seasons, 16th best among 53 tight ends with 50 plus targets over the past two seasons. Hurst finished 22nd among those tight ends in yards per route run as a rookie in 2018. He was 11th best in yards per route run among 56 tight ends this past season. So he has been pretty efficient. Of course, the big thing here for him, at least has the opportunity to get a big, big boost in volume going to Atlanta. The Falcons, of course, lost Austin Hooper to free agency. Hooper averaged 6.4 targets per season over the last two years. So, you know, if Hurst can capture a pretty big chunk of those, which, which I think the Falcons are hoping he can, um, you know, that, that's, that's going to land him inside the top 10 tight ends and targets. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's worth noting that the Falcons didn't really lose Austin Hooper. They said, you can go ahead and sign somewhere else. Or we'll be okay without you. Mm-hmm. And then before the league year had even started, they worked out the trade for Hayden Hurst. So they clearly didn't like fret over losing Austin Hooper. They realized that he is not worth the money that he was going to get paid on the open market. And they knew that they could go get a cheaper option and spend that money elsewhere. I, I mean, I agree that Hayden Hurst was a bad selection for the Ravens and he did not work out for them. They recouped something in this trade and he lands in a great spot in Atlanta. I don't love him long-term because he's still old coming into the league and he hasn't stayed healthy so far, but for 2020, 2021, it's an excellent spot. Austin Hooper's past three seasons finished tight end three in PPR points per game last year, tight end 10 the year before that, tight end 21 the year before that. He was 10th in PPR points per game among tight ends over that three-year span. And Hooper hasn't even been super efficient. 25th in yards per target among all tight ends with at least 30 targets over the past three years behind Hayden Hurst in that category, among other people, by the way. 58th in yards per catch over that three-year span among tight ends. Among the 60 target tight ends over the past three years, guys who saw at least 60 targets in the past three seasons, uh, Hooper only ranked 17th 
in yards per target, 42nd in yards per catch. Hurst beat him in both of those categories. Yeah, I mean, Hooper's a nice player. He's not a you know dominant, elite pass-catching tight end. He did what he did in fantasy because of the volume, playing on a pass-heavy Falcons offense and a good Falcons offense, and I think they're going to remain pass-heavy. They're going to remain one of the better offenses in the league. So a great opportunity for Hayden Hurst. Yeah, so Hayden Hurst, tight end 19 and best ball 10s this week. That's only six drafts as of last night, so it's a very small sample. We'll see what happens to his ADP. I think he would have to climb a long way to stop making sense, though. Or Where are you taking him? Yeah, I, again, I think you know probably somewhere just outside the top 12. We talked about it. Tight end is looking deeper than usual this season with a lot of these younger guys. You know, your your Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, Mike Kosicki. I think right behind those guys, though, is where I'd rank Hayden Hurst right now. So probably in the 12 to 15 range among tight ends. I would personally take Hayden Hurst straight up over Mike Jasicki, but I, I agree that that's the range. And he would, he would probably have to get to like 10 in ADP before yep. I'm not taking any shares of him, you know, assuming that I'm drafting a bunch of best ball teams because that's the way that it's primarily played. Yeah, I think if he got ahead of the Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson duo would be, I think, where it maybe be a bit out of hand. So I agree with Hayden Hurst taking a big boost. I think Kenyon Drake has been like quietly significantly helped by his situation. Got the transition tag from Arizona. You know, it was uncertain heading into this offseason. He could have hit free agency, but they clearly said, we want to keep you around. I think that was what I was concerned with was that Drake would go free and running backs on the free agent market don't tend to do well. Now that he's sticking in Arizona, I mean, he was a fantasy force over the second half of last season. He's in an offense that should only get better now that the head coach is in his second year in the NFL, the quarterbacks in his second year in the NFL, they added DeAndre Hopkins. So I think all that's around him and the situation that Kenyon Drake stays in along with what he's already exhibited to us now through two stops in terms of what he can do as a receiver and as a runner. I think he's in a great spot. His ADP is still high. He's he's running back 14 right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's the range where Kenyon Drake belongs now, though. Yeah, I think 14 is more than fair. And I think when we run our projections, he might come in even a bit higher than that. He's someone I'm definitely going to want to be targeting unless he gets you know too expensive in, in ADP. On that transition tag, the Cardinals are going to be paying him $8.5 million this season. That's a big number for running back. So I do think he's going to get the ball. Like you said, he was awesome with Arizona last year. He was fourth among running backs in PPR points in his eight games with the Cardinals. He did, he did score eight touchdowns over those eight games, so there's probably some regression coming there. But he averaged over 100 yards, 100 total yards per game. 5.2 yards per carry, caught three and a half passes per game. So I've been a fan of his talent for a few years now, and I think the opportunity now is going to sort of match that talent. Yeah, and of course the transition tag doesn't guarantee that he sticks around, but I can't imagine another team paying up for him. Exactly, and the, the transition tag gives the Cardinals the opportunity to match any offer that Drake does get from another team. Yeah, so we'll see if there's like a poison pill contract out there somewhere <laughs> like we we saw. I don't even it was it was a while ago now. It seems like they went by the wayside, but always yeah. the possibility, I guess. Yep. So on the other side, who has been hurt the most by the early moves in trade or free agency? To me, I think it has to be Jameis Winston and Cam Newton, who are both, you know, basically unemployed at this point. And you look around the league, there's not many spots where they could go where they'd be clear-cut starters, and even then, like, would they be interesting fantasy options? I think, you know, New England right now has the biggest hole at quarterback with Jarrett Stidham atop the depth chart right now. We'll see if they're interested in either of those guys. But beyond that, I mean, it's like, you know, Washington, if they don't believe in Dwayne Haskins, maybe Ron Rivera does want to reunite with Cam Newton. Uh, Miami, I think they're more likely to draft a quarterback and, and go that route. Jacksonville, maybe after trading Nick Foles. But again, they're all sort of question marks, and none of those spots would, I think, get you super excited about the fantasy prospect. So at this point, like in, in best ball drafts, I don't really want anything to do with Jameis Winston or Cam Newton, unless it's like as my third quarterback, because you just, there's no guarantee they're going to be on the field week one. Yeah, I agree. I think right now you can't take them above uh, QB three territory, which, you know, you can draft certainly in the FFPC 28 rounders, but yeah, the, the opportunities are drying up. I, I think the situations you mentioned are the ones where they could go Miami, Jacksonville. Jacksonville might be the best remaining spot. And, you know, you think the Jaguars trading away Nick Foles kind of locks in Gardner Minshew as a starter. But, I mean, it was less than a year ago that they sat Gardner Minshew for a returning Nick Foles. So it's not hard to envision the Jaguars handing the job to Cam Newton to open the season over Gardner Minshew. I think there are some out there saying, why don't NFL teams think Cam Newton can be a starting quarterback anymore? 
I don't think that's the way to read the situation. The NFL year just began yesterday, Wednesday, and Cam Newton is coming off an injury and has had several injuries over the past few seasons. We're at a point where NFL teams can't do physicals. They have to figure out how to do a physical on a player, and they're evaluating a draft class that has multiple first-round quarterbacks. So ultimately, there's not really a reason for teams that would sign these guys to rush into it, especially in the case of Cam Newton, where they need to see how healthy he is. And Jameis Winston, you know, is is a bit of a loose cannon off the field. So I I wouldn't read it right now as no teams think Cam Newton deserves a start as as much as there's just not a reason to rush to sign him right now. Right. And on top of the health issues with Cam, he is still for now on the Panthers roster. So a team would have to trade for him. I think all 31 teams should know that Carolina is eventually going to release Cam Newton. So I think I think teams are just waiting for that to happen before starting to pursue Cam. Right. I think a couple other situations that could be interesting. Pittsburgh, where Ben Roethlisberger's 38, not a lock to be healthy this year. The The problem with the Steelers is it's a tough cap situation. It'll be difficult to fit in a high-priced veteran backup on that roster as it is right now. And then the Chargers. I mean, we'll talk about Tyrod Taylor in a few minutes. Uh, and that's the indication is that they're – looking to move forward with Tyrod Taylor as the starter. But even if that's the case, there's certainly room for another veteran to either start out backing him up or compete for that job. Yeah, I mean, James and Cam are going to are gonna find jobs. I think the, the takeaway at this point, though, is there's no spot where like, they're going to be exciting fantasy options for 2020. Yeah, unless one of them lands in New England, I think. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that. I mean, having Belichick as your head coach obviously helps, but you look at the skill guys there. I mean, I think it's a bottom 10 group in the NFL that probably matters less for cam because he can run the ball. But I mean, you know, Jameis going from those, those wide receivers in Tampa to the group that new England has right now would obviously be a a pretty massive downgrade. Yeah. I mean, I think cam Newton is an interesting fantasy quarterback anywhere. He he could start for any team and be worth some fantasy attention, but I agree. Jameis Winston's in for a big fall, no matter where he lands. Yep. All right. Elsewhere, the biggest move I think was Deandre Hopkins (laughs) who traded from the Texans to the Cardinals And we'll see what the overall reaction is. It seems like Hopkins might be falling a little bit down wide receiver rankings, but there are also other people that say he's got, he's in a better situation right now. I think there's a chance Arizona turns out to be an excellent situation for him this season. That said, looking ahead from where we are right now, I think that you have to say objectively DeAndre Hopkins is taking a step down in situation. The biggest thing is his target shares. I mean, he was a dominant target share guy in Houston, saw 28% of the targets last year, saw more than 30% of the targets in three of the previous four seasons. He just dominated targets in Houston. He's not going to do that in Arizona with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald there. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to lead that team in targets, but it's a pretty big dip to go from 160 to 130 in targets. Beyond that, Kyler Murray, I like Kyler Murray. And I think that there's certainly plenty of upside beyond what he did last year. But as it stands, Kyler Murray is a big downgrade in passing from Deshaun Watson. Murray graded out 32nd among 39 quarterbacks who played at least 20% of their team snaps last season, according to Pro Football Focus, in passing grade. Compare that with Deshaun Watson, who finished last season 12th, finished the previous season 10th. I mean, it, it is a downgrade. Yeah, I agree it's a downgrade. I think it might not be as big. I don't expect it to be as big of a downgrade as the numbers would point to last year. You know, Kyler Murray, a rookie with a, a pretty subpar supporting cast. I, I, I'm I, high on Kyler as a passer. I think, you know, that gap with Watson should close this season. But I'm with you. Hawkins likely to take a target hit here. You know, th- those target shares, you know, if you don't do this for a living, if you don't project guys for a living, you probably don't realize, you know, how massive a, a 32, 33% target share. You just don't see that very often. I think you can reasonably project Hopkins for somewhere between like 25 and 28% this coming year. And that, that's still a big number, but it's way lower than what he was getting in Houston. The good news is Arizona should throw the ball quite a bit more than Houston has been. Um, you look at last year, the Cardinals attempted 20 more passes than the Texans last year. I'd expect that gap to grow in 2020, um, especially with Hopkins arriving. I think Arizona starts to lean even more towards the pass. So that that can help save Hopkins' target volume a little bit. But I do agree, you know, 150 plus targets for Hopkins in five straight seasons now in Houston. Um, I, I think, you know, that that's closer to the upper range of his outcomes in Arizona now. 
Yeah, and I mean, just to be clear, I'm not saying that the, the move crushes Hopkins by any no. means. I'm still working out exactly where he ranked for me among receivers, but I think it'll be more like sixth or seventh than second or third, which doesn't it doesn't sound like a big drop, but in, when you're drafting in the first two rounds, it yeah. can be the difference of targeting him or avoiding him. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm taking Michael Thomas and Devonta Adams for sure over Hopkins, and I'd probably lean Tyreek Hill and Julio Jones over Hopkins, but I think right now Hopkins would be wide receiver five for me. Yeah, I mean, I've got at least those four guys ahead of him, and you know, beyond that, I, I'm still figuring it out. I think Hopkins is undeniably a positive for Kyler Murray. The only problem there is that people were already drafting Kyler Murray fourth among quarterbacks, so it's just not going to be possible to target him. Right. From what I've seen in you know drafts of the past couple of days now, he's basically locked in as quarterback three, which you know, it, it's not crazy. He he might end up quarterback three in my rankings. To me, it's going to be between Kyler and Dak Prescott for the you know three and four spots behind Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. That's sad, you know, where Kyler is going, and I've seen him going, you know, the fifth or sixth round. That, that's, just, that's just not where I'm targeting quarterbacks. I'm unfortunately probably not going to end up with much, if any, Kyler Murray in drafts this summer. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kyler Murray could lead all quarterbacks in scoring this year. I think that's within the range of possible outcomes. But if I have to take him third among quarterbacks to get that, I would much rather wait and take Dak where I can take him. I would wait and take Carson Wentz now at the bottom or even outside of top 12 territory. It's just he's he's overpriced. Yeah, I'm not anti-Kyler. I'm just anti-taking any quarterback at, at that range of drafts. Right. And he made Deshaun Watson is going to be behind Kyler Murray. And he's yep. Deshaun Watson already is what we hope Kyler Murray is going to be. Right. And, and and I do think Watson at this point, before doing projections, does deserve to be behind Kyler Murray. But if Deshaun Watson drops far enough, he, he might turn into a value. Christian Kirk, we'll see exactly what this means for him. I think he looks like a buy right now. He's wide receiver 34 in best ball 10s. I mean, obviously, DeAndre Hopkins came in to be the number one receiver, but there should, there will be targets available. I think Christian Kirk, from what we saw last year, should be the clear number two. There's still room for him to get 110, 120 targets. And if it's a better offense, which it should be, then those should be higher value targets that he does get from an improving quarterback. So I think if you can get him low in wide receiver three range, that's a good investment. Right. I would look into buying Christian Kirk in Dynasty right now if, if his owner is sort of disappointed that, you know, he's now going to be fighting for targets with DeAndre Hopkins. I, I sort of always thought Christian Kirk was going to work best as a number two wide receiver in the NFL. And, you know, now I think he's a number two wide receiver in a really good spot in what should be a pass heavy offense and what I think, you know, could be a top 10 offense as early as this season. So I, I still think Kirk, like you said, yeah, I think he's going to be a wide receiver three, but he's going to have some, some spike weeks. And, and I think again, now is a good time to, to look into acquiring him in dynasty. Yeah, I agree with all that. I'll be very curious too, to see what happens with all the other dudes that they drafted last year. Not so much Keyshawn Johnson, but Andy Isabella and Akeem Butler who didn't do anything, but you know, was hurt last year to be fair. And Larry Fitzgerald's still hanging around there, so. Yeah, well, so they've got to have the old guy to do the the under-the-wing garbage. Yep, exactly. On the other side of that trade, David Johnson going to the Texans. I mean, it's a stupid move for the Texans. So looking past that, it's obviously a positive move for David Johnson. I I know I headed into this offseason thinking it was just time to be done with David Johnson. Nobody was going to trade for that huge contract, and maybe he would get cut and share a backfield somewhere. Lo and behold, Bill O'Brien decided to resurrect David Johnson. I think that he's still a limited player, but he lands in a great situation that was fine for Carlos Hyde last year. The Texans clearly don't like Duke Johnson as much as their trade last summer seemed to indicate that they did. So, I mean, David Johnson looks like the lead back. And in a spot now where Lamar Miller has put up undervalued numbers multiple seasons. Yeah, I mean, you have to call David Johnson a winner here because we know in fantasy and for running backs in particular, volume matters more than anything else. And David Johnson should get volume in Houston. The Texans, like you said, obviously believe in this guy, believe he's still, I I think they still believe he's an upper end talent based on, you know, what they gave up for him in this trade. The fact that they're going to be paying him $10.2 million this season. So David Johnson's going to get volume in Houston. I don't expect him to be efficient. He looked like a guy pretty much out of gas last year, 3.7 yards per carry, 67th in pro football focuses, elusive rating among 68 running backs with 50 plus carries. I mean, he was still good in the passing game last season. And you know, that's been what David Johnson has been best at throughout his pro career. Now the problem there is that 
Houston hasn't really targeted the running backs in the passing game much under Deshaun Watson. Just 67 and 79 total targets for running backs over the past two seasons. It was a 13% target share in 2018, a 15% target share in 2019. Those are below average numbers. That was with Duke, with Duke Johnson around last year. So I'm not sure how much that's going to change. So unfortunately, you know, with David Johnson being best in the passing game, I'm not sure he's going to get, you know, huge, huge target volume in Houston. I think that the trade gets even stupider if Houston is not planning to throw the ball to David Johnson more than it has to running backs in the past. I mean, we're basically here getting in David Johnson. I think we're getting Lamar Miller, but with more receiving skills and losing DeAndre Hopkins leaves behind about 30% of Houston's targets. So granted, some of those are going to get spread around to the other wide receivers who remain. I do think that I would expect that David Johnson will get more passing than the other guys. I'm definitely not excited about him, but I don't think anybody's going to get excited about him. So as long as he stays from like RB 18 down in ADP, then I'll take some shares of David Johnson. I'm very curious to see where he starts going in drafts. I mean, you know, this is a guy that was a a first round pick as early as, you know, last year, I think in some drafts, of course he burned a lot of people last year. I'm I'm curious. I, I think, yeah, I think low end running back two territory is where he belongs. Um, he's probably not a guy I'm going to be, you know, excited to target. But again, if he drops far enough, just because of the volume I expect him to get, I, th- I think he he might present some value. Yeah, I, I'm not going out of my way to get him, and I have not drafted much so far, so I can't say exactly where I like him. But I, I would say like early to mid round four, if David Johnson's on the board, I think he starts to look interesting. Yep, makes sense. Randall Cobb also joined the Texans as a free agent quietly late in the night. And it's a move, again, like everything that the Texans do at this point. It's one that you look at and kind of scoff. But Randall Cobb climbed last year from, in 2018, he was 115th in PFF wide receiver grade among all 164 receivers who saw any targets. Last season, out of 220 receivers who saw any targets, he ranked 57th in PFF grade. So he rebounded to some degree in his loan season with the Cowboys. Also, Football Outsiders ratings, Randall Cobb ranked 36th in DR, 33rd in DVOA, among 81 qualifying wideouts in Football Outsiders efficiency. So Randall Cobb did rebound in his move from Green Bay to Dallas last year, and he seems old. But he doesn't turn 30 until August. He's coming off a career-high 15.1 yards per catch. I'm not saying great move. I'm not saying that Randall Cobb is going to help fantasy teams. Mm -hmm. But he's at least worth a look, and it's not as bad a move as it might seem, I think. I think his fantasy stock probably gets a slight boost here. I I just think he's probably a better volume bet in Houston with, you know, right now it's right now it's Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, and Randall Cobb are their top three wide receivers. And I don't think Fuller or Stills is, you know, a true – number one wide receiver. So I think you're going to see the targets pretty evenly distributed among those three. So I do think Cobb should see a, a bump in volume this season, but you know, beyond that, I don't think there's much to get excited about here. Yeah, certainly nothing exciting, but I agree. I think the targets will be spread out. We've seen injury issues for both Fuller and Kenny Stills, especially Fuller. So, I mean, if you know, Randall Cobb in late in wide receiver four territory into wide receiver five territory, I think nobody's going to get excited about him. I think he'll be a decent value in drafts, especially considering his quarterback. Yep. Stephon Diggs was the other big move at wide receiver, traded to the Bills, also a late night announcement kind of thing. So I'm going to let you start here. There's not really anything to like. What do you think of the Stephon Diggs move? I have Diggs taking a slight hit, you know, as far as fantasy value going to Buffalo here. I think his volume is going to be pretty similar. I think he'll probably capture a slightly larger share of the targets without an Adam Thielen to compete with. I also don't think he's going to be, you know, in DeAndre Hopkins territory because the Bills do still have John Brown. They do still have Cole Beasley. And, you know, the Bills have been a run heavy offense. You know, they, they've been 28th and 25th in pass attempts the past two years under Josh Allen. But the Vikings last year were 30th in pass attempts. So he's sort of going from a run heavy offense to a run heavy offense. So really no change there. The biggest change, of course, is quarterback play going from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen. So just comparing those two guys last year, Kirk Cousins, 69% completion rate. Josh Allen, 59% completion rate. Kirk Cousins, 8.1 yards per attempt. Josh Allen, 6.7 yards per attempt. Kirk Cousins, fourth in pro football focuses passing grades. Josh Allen, 26th in PFF passing grades. So it's really the quarterback downgrade that I think is going to hurt Stephon Diggs here. 
Yeah, I, I think that having a strong feeling in either direction on Stefan Diggs is the wrong way to go. Because I think we're kind of, I think analysis at this point is kind of confusing Stefan Diggs, the actual player, with Stefan Diggs, the fantasy performer. His PPR production has been up and down quite a bit over the past four years, and that's the four seasons since his rookie year. The first year in that range, he was 13th among wideouts in PPR points per game. Minnesota was 62% past that season. The next year, he finished 19th in PPR points per game. Minnesota was 52.5% past. Then he jumped to 11th in fantasy points per game. Kirk Cousins' first season, they were over 64% pass that season. Last year, like you said, they were barely over 50% pass, and he was 24th in PPR points per game. So, Stefan Diggs going from Minnesota to Buffalo, I don't think that he's falling from 24th in PPR points per game. I also don't think that he is a good bet to get into wide receiver one territory. So, if Stefan Diggs is ADP settles in around 18th or 19th, I think it's fine. I think that's probably the range where he belongs. I think there's a chance he scores some touchdowns and climbs beyond that in final points. But like you said, he's not going to a better situation for volume. Buffalo has been under 55% pass each of the past four years, and he's got a downgrade in quarterback. No matter what you think of Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is far more accurate than Josh Allen, and Josh Allen's not even accurate downfield. You think of him having a big arm and matching up well with a speedy receiver. He has been a poor downfield passer through his two seasons so far. There's certainly room for him to improve, but betting on you know multiple unknowns is not generally the way to go in fantasy. Right, and you know we should say Josh Allen did improve from 2018 to 2019, and now getting a receiver of Diggs caliber, you know, he, he should take another step forward in 2020. But I, you know, that's still a big gap. He's you know looking to climb between him and Kirk Cousins. So I do think it's it's a quarterback downgrade, no matter how you slice it. Diggs to me feels like a low end wide receiver too. I think he's going to be volatile from week to week. You're going to get some big games out of him when he does get you know eight, nine, ten targets. But I, I just think in this offense. There's going to be spots where he only gets, you know, five or six targets. And when those are coming from Josh Allen, you're going to get some duds. I agree. I mean, I think Stefan Diggs is going to take over the spot where John Brown finished in fantasy last year. And, you know, some of where exactly he finishes is going to depend on some touchdown luck. Yeah. So if, if you're drafting him in low wide receiver two range, I think that's fine. I think he's likely to not, you know, kill you there. And maybe he gets lucky and jumps to like 14th by the end. Yeah, I mean, and I love John Brown, but Stephon Diggs is the, the better receiver. So I think there's there's upside beyond what John Brown produced last season. John Brown, meanwhile, not above wide receiver three range, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to think his, his targets take a pretty significant hit. Unfortunately, even wide receiver three range might be pushing it at this point. And Cole Beasley, who we didn't want to draft <laughs> anyway, it's in a tougher spot, but... I feel like he's probably going to finish higher than we end up projecting him because probably. he's the one guy who is, you know, will be consistently in the short range. And he, that's just what he always does. Yeah, he, he probably will finish higher than we project him. We should you know, mention Josh Allen here, too. I think, hate to say it, but I think, you know, he's right in that mix as like, you know, a quarterback five, six, seven. Um, you know, once you get past those top four or five guys, um, just when you factor in what he's done rushing and, and now getting a receiver of Diggs talent, I think I think that's going to be be good news for him. Yeah. I mean, getting Stefan Diggs is obviously an upgrade in talent around him, but the, my, my, my issue with um, kind of projecting it is that for the benefit there at some point, Josh Allen is not going to run for a bunch of touchdowns. Yeah. Even if he keeps running the ball at some point, some season he's going to run for like three instead of eight. Yeah. I mean, listen, if, if Josh Allen, you know, climbs to quarterback five and ADP, I, I will gladly be, you know, lower than consensus on Josh Allen. Yeah. Back in Minnesota, meanwhile, I mean, they got to add something at wide receiver. That said, for now, it's a, it becomes a better situation for Josh Doxson. Don't look now. And Irv Smith. Yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, Ola BC Johnson was, was the number three guy when last season ended. So I would imagine for now he's the favorite to be the number two guy, but I'm ignoring any wide receiver in Minnesota for now. Outside of Adam Thielen, we'll see if they really don't add anything in free agency and or the draft. Um, but yeah, I think Irv Smith is a good name. And Kyle Rudolph, I mean, you know, I think he was better than expected last season even. And you know, there's a chance, even if Irv Smith's role does grow now, there's a chance that Kyle Rudolph sees even more volume in 2020. Yeah, I think Minnesota becomes a nice potential landing spot for Robbie Anderson mm. with the trade. Yeah. But short of that, I mean, you got to figure, even if they draft a first rounder, 
odds are against a first rounder replacing what Stefan Diggs was doing. Yeah, Robbie Anderson's a good call. I think that's a really good fit. I, I kind of hope he lands there now that you say that. Um, you know, I, I mean, Adam Thielen, he, he could be looking at 140, 150 target season now. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady to the Buccaneers is the biggest, like, real-life move. He posted the worst completion rate of his career last season. I'm sorry, his worst since 2004 last season. The worst touchdown rate of his career. His fewest yards per attempt since 2002, which was his second year as a starter. But now he gets Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. You can't overstate the upgrade and supporting cast here, going from what he was working with in New England last year to... Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, you know, OJ Howard still there. So that's the good news. The question with Brady is just what is left in his tank. He turns 43 in August. Vinny Testaverde, the only quarterback in NFL history to throw more than 100 passes at age 43 or older. So it's you know almost literally uncharted territory for Tom Brady now. Like you said, he wasn't very good last year. In addition to the, to the stats you had there, he was 22nd in PFF's adjusted completion percentage among 30 quarterbacks with 300 plus dropbacks last year. So Brady's another guy I'm curious to see how high he climbs in ADP. If I can get him as a quarterback too, you know, in quarterback 14 to 16 territory, I think that's where he belongs. I do think you're going to get some spike weeks out of him just throwing to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. But I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm just worried, you know, if he can take advantage of this situation at at the age he's at now. Yeah, I mean, I think even QB 12 is a fine spot and probably an appropriate spot for TB 12. But I, I would be hesitant to to go a lot higher than that in terms yeah. of draft capital. I mean, obviously, Bruce Arians considers Tom Brady an upgrade over Jameis Winston. But I think it's faulty to say, look what Jameis Winston did last year for the Bucks, And Tom Brady's better than Jameis Winston. So he's a top five fantasy quarterback. Yeah, you got to remember, too, that Winston also added he added 31 fantasy points with the rushing production. You know, Tom Brady's not going to give you any of that. For the receivers, I mean, again, if you get an upgraded quarterback, and I think we probably have to say Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Jameis Winston, so it it can't hurt the receivers in real life. But Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, both they finished second and fourth in PPR points per game last year. So even if the offense is better, even if the quarterback's better, both of those guys are likely to regress from that level of production. Tom Brady's a better real-life quarterback than Jameis Winston. I'm not sure he's, he's a better quarterback for his receiver's fantasy production at this point. You know, Winston, super aggressive, chucks it downfield. That's kind of what you want for your receivers. I do think the decrease in interceptions that the Bucs are going to have this year going from Winston and Brady should help the receivers, you know, keep them on the field a bit longer. But yeah, I think Godwin and Evans both take a hit here. Um, I, I think if you look at him, Godwin feels like the better fit. For Tom Brady at this point, you know, more of the short range stuff, the slot role where you've had Brady, you know, get the big seasons out of guys like Julian Edelman and Wes Welker. Mike Evans, more of the downfield guy. And so Brady last year, he was 26th among 35 qualifying quarterbacks in deep ball percentage. You know, that's the you know the percentage of his throws that went 20 plus yards downfield. So he wasn't chucking deep very often. He was decent, though, in deep ball accuracy rate. He was 18th among those 35 qualifiers. So when he did go downfield, he was still okay. And of course, you know, he didn't, he wasn't throwing to these, you know, stud downfield receivers like Mike Evans is. So I I think Evans efficiency on the deep balls will remain close to what it was with Jameis. Um, He he might just get a few fewer shots downfield. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady has traditionally been a good deep ball thrower and he had garbage to work with in terms of working that range last year. Mike Evans should be his best deep target since Randy Moss. Yep. which was a long time ago. They're a stellar red zone duo. And there's also OJ Howard to consider. I mean, I don't think that we can say Tom Brady likes the tight end. OJ Howard is going to make out here because that's it, not, I don't think that's a good way to read it. I mean, Tom Brady had Rob Gronkowski for a lot of his time. And ever since then, we've been waiting for the t- replacement tight end to outperform his previous status. And it has been a foolish bet over the past couple of years. So OJ Howard, I think is going to depend more on what Bruce Arians lets him do. Right. That's what I was going to say. I mean, Howard's problem last year was not Jameis Winston. It was Bruce Arians, you know, playing time was Howard's issue. So you know, Brady's not going to fix that. If, if Howard can get on the field more and, you know, run more pass routes and all the stuff we sort of expected him to do last season, then I think, you know, Brady could end up being good news for him. Yeah, whether I'm buying on any of the, any of these guys really depends a lot on where their ADPs settle out, and it's yeah. a little too early to read that. Yeah, to me, I mean, Chris Godman and Mike Evans stay in wide receiver one range. Um, you know, I think they maybe drop a few spots, but but if you know the, if they're going to fall into the you know fourth round of fantasy drafts, I'll certainly be interested. 
Yeah, and I, I think they're worth consideration in round three yep. as well. But again, we'll see where everybody settles out. Of course, we'll we'll see too if anything comes of the rumor that Tom Brady wants <laughs> to bring Antonio Brown with him. Yeah, that would that would not make much sense to me, but I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> Goofy stuff. But what I mean, what has made sense with Antonio Brown <laughs> over the past I don't know two three years anyway? That's true. Elsewhere in QB news, Philip Rivers is the new guy for the Colts. Rivers looked worse last year, especially in the season's second half. His pro football focus grade was down from 2018. But overall, his numbers are not out of line with his previous seasons. So maybe he's not done. I don't think he's as good as he used to be. He's still graded out way ahead of Jacoby Brissett as a passer last year. Also beat Brissett in average target depth. So I think getting Philip Rivers is an upgrade for the pass catchers in Indy. I don't know that he's, he's, he doesn't excite me as a standalone fantasy option. Yep. I agree on all those things there. I think the important thing for guys like T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle is that Rivers, unless he takes, you know, a a huge step back from last year, which is possible at his age, you know, but if, but if he's close to the same guy he was last year, he has an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. Like you said, Rivers 17th in PFF's passing grades last year, Brissett was down at 28th. So nice upgrade there. The other good thing for Rivers, massive upgrade for him in pass blocking. That was one of his issues last year is, you know, he, he just didn't have time back there. And when you're an older quarterback, that's immobile. And you know, that that's tough. The chargers were 31st in PFF's pass blocking grades last year the Colts were 13th and I think you know you look at the Colts O-line I think their pass blocking could be even better than that going forward but Rivers you know with this pass catching core being you know I guess average at best and his you know lack of rushing production he's still not a guy that excites me as a fantasy asset yeah better pass blocking is obviously a a positive but goes from Keenan Allen Mike Williams and Austin Eckler to T.Y. Hilton Jack Doyle Naheem Hines and you know we'll see we'll see about Paris Campbell we'll see Mm -hmm. what else they add at receiver, so I think it's a downgrade overall. Maybe though, getting a little bit of distance between himself and all of those children uh, makes it a little bit easier. Let's him breathe a little easier. Gets him, uh, I don't know, a little more active, and 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 makes life a little easier for him. I heard the whole family's moving to Indianapolis. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I think that you have to have a farm in Indiana, so yeah. that gives them something to do. True. The move, I think, looks at least fine for T.Y. Hilton, Jack Doyle. Like I said, I'm not excited about Rivers, but I think it's an upgrade for those guys. And they're both going to be values in drafting. Yeah, Doyle's the guy that interests me. Um, we'll see about Eric Ebron. He's still sitting out on the free agent market. I wonder if the Colts have any interest in bringing him back if he's cheap enough. But for now, Doyle is interesting, um, you know, just being the clear lead guy there. And, and Philip Rivers... Don't want to overrate, you know, what he's done with tight ends because, you know, it's been Antonio Gates and then even Hunter Henry, I think, is a much bigger talent than Jack Doyle. But, you know, I think there might be something to that. And with the Colts really having nothing proven at wide receiver behind T.Y. Hilton, I think Doyle, you know, could finish second on this team in targets this season. Yeah, and he's done it a couple times before. For what it's worth, Frank Reich did coach Phillip Rivers with the Chargers in mm-hmm. 2013, 2014, and 2015. Was the QB's coach for a year before spending the final two years as his offensive coordinator. No special results from those guys in, in those seasons, though. We got better numbers from Phillip Rivers under Ken Wisenhunt than we did from Frank Reich. Yeah, and Colts offensive coordinator Nick Sirianni uh, spent five years with Phillip Rivers with the Chargers. So there's definitely some familiarity you know, with this offense for Rivers. Should, should help their transition. That's nice. And then back in, with the Chargers, it looks like Tyrod Taylor might be the man, as we alluded to earlier. That's what Ian Rappaport says, that the Chargers don't plan to bring in a veteran. You know, we'll see what they actually do. But from a fantasy standpoint, I would be just fine with Tyrod Taylor starting for the Chargers. He was, of course, the Bills starter for three seasons, 2015, 16, and 17. And in those years, he ranked 12th, 14th, and 24th in fantasy points per game. Yeah, Taylor with that mobility and the pass catching core that still remains for the Chargers would be exciting. I, I just, I, you know, the, the Chargers hold the sixth pick in the draft. I, I'm, it sure seems like they're setting up to take a quarterback there, if not trade up to take a quarterback. So I still, you know, if we're talking basketball drafts, I still wouldn't want Tyrod as anything more than my quarterback three, just because I, I, you know, still would bet against him starting all 16 games this season. Now, it's certainly the challenge of drafting this early, but he could be a coup if he does emerge as a starter. And, you know, even if they draft Tua at number six, right. uh, we're probably looking at a year of Tyrod. Yeah, again, I mean, if you get Tyrod as your quarterback three in basketball, I think it's kind of all profit there. Because even if he starts half the season, you get three or four starter weeks out of him, you're, you're doing well. Teddy Bridgewater is the new quarterback for the Panthers. 
And I mean, it's a big name move. It's a big move in that they're done with Cam Newton, apparently. I don't see Teddy Bridgewater as a positive fantasy-wise for anybody in the Carolina offense, though. I mean, I think he's an upgrade over what they had at quarterback last season. Over Kyle Allen, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Teddy was he was really good in those five starts with the Saints last season. Uh, 70% completion rate, nine touchdowns, just two interceptions. And, yeah, he's in a great spot and in a Sean Payton offense with Michael Thomas, with Alvin Kamara. Uh, I think Kamara might have been out or at least less than 100% for some of those games. But Bridgewater, sixth among 29 qualifying quarterbacks in PFF's passing grades over that five-week span, fourth among those 29 quarterbacks in adjusted completion rate. Again, small sample, in a great spot, but remember too, Bridgewater, a former first-round pick, had a really nice college career, completed 68% of his passes over three seasons at Louisville. So I still you know, have some excitement for this guy. Um, I don't think he's going to be a huge fantasy asset. I think he's you know in that huge group of guys in like mid-range to low-end quarterback two territory. But again, I think I think the big thing is it's just a huge upgrade in quarterback play for guys like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Yeah, definitely an upgrade over Kyle Allen. I think Bridgewater as a fantasy quarterback belongs around QB 20. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he settles in a little bit lower than that for me, but I, I'm not taking him over players such as Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, um, other guys who will be down in that range. Uh, you know, it, I don't think I certainly don't think he hurts DJ Moore or Christian McCaffrey by any means. He's it, Teddy Bridgewater is a short range worker. I don't think that's going to change significantly. But both Moore and McCaffrey delivered for us last year. DJ Moore was wide receiver 15 in PPR. We all know what Christian McCaffrey did. I think those guys remain fine. I don't see an upgrade. Curtis Samuel, we've been hoping that he would be able to deliver more production on the downfield stuff that he was already getting last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Teddy Bridgewater helps in that area. So I guess for 2020, I'm no more excited for Curtis Samuel now than I was. I do think that generally people are probably unexcited for Curtis Samuel and for Dynasty, it might make a a good time to buy him. Because Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think, is the long-term quarterback in Carolina. Right. I don't think he is either. With Samuel, I, I, I don't think downfield is where he's at his best. I mean, th- he was a he was a running back. He started his career at Ohio State as a running back. And at Ohio State, he did a lot of his stuff around the line of scrimmage. I think he's I think he's best after the catch. So I hope you know the Panthers have a brand new offense in 2020 here mm-hmm. with uh, Joe Brady coming from LSU. So I, I hope they just sort of change Samuel's usage. I think that would help him. Also, with Brady, worth noting that he spent 2008 with Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans, um, you know, Brady was an offensive assistant under Sean Payton. So Brady has some familiarity with Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, you, you like that and we'll see what the new offense looks like there. Uh, you know, we'll see. Things could be quite different from what they were last year. And I like Curtis Samuel as a player, so I'm not avoiding him. But, you know, we're talking about probably bottom of wide receiver three to mid wide receiver four range. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. The Bears traded for Nick Foles, so it's not necessarily a new starting quarterback for them, but it obviously raises the question of whether Mitchell Trubisky makes it through 2020 as their starter. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine this is going to be an open competition this summer between Foles and uh, Trubisky. You know, Chicago only gave up a fourth rounder to get Nick Foles. I, I think he restructured his contract, too, um, so I'm sure his cap hits a bit lower than it was set to be. You know, I got to imagine Foles is the favorite to beat out Trubisky in an open competition. Um, Foles has experience with this coaching staff too. He spent some time with Matt Nagy. 2012, they were together in Philadelphia. 2016, they were together in Kansas City. So that's going to help. And then you have John D. Filippo, who was the Jags offensive coordinator last year when Nick Foles is now the Bears quarterback coach. So you know, I'm not even sure Trubisky has the advantage of knowing this offense better than Foles does at this point. And D. Filippo also was in Philly with Nick Foles before uh, moving on to OC um, jobs. I, I would not bet either side of Mitchell Trubisky versus Nick Foles yeah. for the initial starter. I would bet that by the end of the season, Nick Foles is starting for the Bears. And I would also bet that I will not be interested in any Bears quarterback in fantasy at any point during this coming season. Nope, no interest for me. I mean, I still think Trubisky would be the better fantasy bet just because of his rushing production, but I, I'm not drafting either guy at this point. I think the biggest fantasy takeaway is that Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller should get better quarterback play this season whether it's you know Trubisky you know surprisingly taking a step forward or Foles taking over I I do think Foles probably a better better passer than Mitchell Trubisky so should be good news for A-Rob and Anthony Miller yeah and Allen Robinson of course has already played through bad quarterback play in Jacksonville and Chicago we know he's going to produce I mean Nick Foles would easily be the best quarterback he's ever played with right 
Yeah, I would have to say so. <laughs> Sad. Ryan Tannehill is a better quarterback, and he's staying in Tennessee, re-signed with the Titans. Definitely due for some regression over the monster efficiency yeah. numbers that he was putting up last year, but I also don't think that he's going to climb into the top 12 in ADP, so I think he's a fine fantasy target. Again, you know, we're talking about the guys that are going too early. I think when you can wait to like the QB 14, 15 range and potentially get Ryan Tannehill, who was a quarterback six in fantasy last year, it behooves you to wait. Yeah, I, I had Tannehill as quarterback three after taking over as a Titans starter in week seven. Like you said, you know, 68.5% completion rate, 9.0 yards per attempt, 27 touchdowns versus seven interceptions in 14 games. Those, you know, rate stats are going to take a step back. But if he is going in quarterback 12 to 15 range, say, I think that's fine. Um, Tannehill is you know, still going to add some production with his legs as well. Austin Hooper, we talked about the situation he was leaving. He goes to the Cleveland Browns as a free agent. He goes from Atlanta to a worse offense with more targets going to its wide receivers. And the new head coach, Kevin Stefanski, comes from run-heavy roots over the past couple of years in Minnesota. We, you know, We'll see how much of that was him and how much of it was a directive from Mike Zimmer. But I think volume looks like an issue for Austin Hooper. And he lives on volume for his fantasy production. Yeah, the, the Falcons ranked top five in both pass attempts and pass rate in both of the last two years. Um, Hooper finished those seasons seventh and then sixth among tight ends in targets. I think you know that that's gonna that's gonna take a step back in what I think is gonna be a run heavier offense with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry out there for targets as well. Um, you know, Hooper averaged six point four targets per game. Over the last two seasons in Atlanta, I think he's going to have trouble hitting that mark. He he looks like a low end tight end one to me now. Yeah, we'll see where his ADP settles out. But, you know, as of this week in the limited drafts, he was still going in the middle of tight end one territory. I don't see a reason to take Austin Hooper straight up over guys like Evan Ingram or Jared Cook, who are going in the bottom of that range. Nope, I would definitely rather have Ingram and I'd probably even lean towards Jared Cook at this point. And then, of course, that's that's just talking about players straight up. I think if the question is Hooper or wait, I'm just going to wait. Yep, me too. And we'll have to play taps, unfortunately, for David and Joku. Uh, I know. I mean, Stefanski did use a lot of two tight end sets in Minnesota last year, but he, even so, it's 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 going to be really tough for Njoku to get enough volume to be a fantasy factor. Yeah, no thanks on Njoku in the Irv Smith role here. Maybe a, maybe a good dynasty by low, though, because I know he entered the league super young, and I think well, he should be out of Cleveland next offseason or maybe in, in 2022. Yeah, if you're patient and you have a starter at tight end already, I think it's a fine time to see how little you can pay to get David Njoku. Yep. On to running backs, where Jordan Howard joined the Dolphins. Not a, not a huge talent addition for Miami, but we're talking about a backfield whose leading rusher in 2019 was Ryan Fitzpatrick at 243 yards. Mark Walton was next at 201. And the team leader in carries was Kalen Balage at 74 attempts. He averaged 1.8 yards per carry. I didn't even realize that the number was that low until I was looking up this stuff. It, yeah, it was it was bad. I mean, as Miami's backfield stands now, Jordan Howard's looking like a 250 carry guy. But Miami has all these draft picks. It's a, it's a strong rookie running back class, they're going to add someone else. I think, you know, who they add and how early of a pick they use to add that guy will tell us a lot about what kind of role Howard's looking at right now. Um, you know, he, he, he's been a good runner through his first four seasons now, especially his first two seasons, you know, 4.6 yards per carry over that span. He's dropped a bit from there over the last two years, but I, I do still think he is probably an above average runner. The issue is he is, you know, close to a zero in the passing game. So again, we'll see who Miami adds. I would lean towards, fading Howard in drafts right now. It depends where he goes. You know, if you can get him in the double digit rounds, maybe that makes sense. But any higher than that, I, I think I'd, I'd try to stay away from him. Yeah, certainly not somebody I'm targeting. His rushing yards per game and receptions per game have dipped every season that he's been in the league so far. Still over 50 yards uh, rushing per game every year, including last year with Philly. Obviously takes a, a hit in terms of quality of the offense in moving to Miami. I'm definitely not touching him until before late in RB3 territory. I would say like round eight, maybe he's a consideration depending on who else is there. Definitely behind the top four to five rookie running backs, behind Darius Geis, behind Sonny Michelle. But yeah. I would take Jordan Howard right now over like Latavius Murray or Ronald Jones unless I already had Alvin Kamara on my roster. Man, I, 
I've been drafting a lot of a lot of Ronald Jones early here, and it might backfire because I think Tampa definitely might add a running back. But I think if they don't, Ronald Jones, you know, could be like an RB two this season. But yeah, I think I think you're right. It's for me, like ninth, tenth round for for Jordan Howard. Again, and there there is profit potential there. I think if Miami doesn't add a you know big name rookie running back, Howard could end up being like a fifth round pick in drafts. Yeah, I think Jordan Howard and Ronald Jones are probably just about the same draft asset right now. Either one could yeah. hit September as the carry leader on their team and either one could be replaced a month from now yeah I guess the reason I prefer Jones is I just think if he does stick in this role he's going to be more valuable in that Bucks offense than Howard would be in Miami's I can see that but Ronald Jones sucks uh, he was he was good last year I I like I, I, I kind of like Ronald Jones I, I kind of hope Tampa does stick with him but we'll see We'll see. I think that's a discussion for another time. We'll dig further into Ronald Jones, and let's hope that they make a move that keeps us from having to do that. Um, (laughs) For now, though, we'll move on to the 49ers, who look like they might be keeping Jarek McKinnon and Matt Breda. Um, McKinnon restructured his contract to stick around. Matt Breda got a second-round tender as a restricted free agent. Neither of those moves guarantees that that guy is going to be on the regular season roster this season, but they're at least going to have the chance to make that regular season roster. So it keeps this situation crowded. Yeah. Uh, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman back as well. I, I think we talked about Mostert as a guy that was being overvalued in early drafts. I, I still feel that way, especially after these two moves, you know, just, just a lot of bodies there and it's still a Kyle Shanahan backfield. I just think it's going to, it's, it's going to be frustrating throughout this coming season. Yeah, I mean, this is a backfield that's going to be frustrating for lineup setting leagues. The highest scorer last year was Raheem Mostert. He totaled 20, he ranked 26th in total PPR points among running backs, but the backfield on whole ranked fourth in PPR points Mm -hmm. among running backs behind only the Chargers, Panthers, and Patriots. All three of those backfields had at least 44 more receptions than the Niners did. So they did it on the rushing stuff. The Niners led the league in running back rushing yards. They were second in carries. So I do think that where the crowd benefits here is I think it suppresses the ADP for Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert going forward. As of right now, Mostert's the highest at at running back 30. You know, I think that's going to vary by draft, but if we're talking about Raheem Mostert in from mid RB three range down and Tevin Coleman at like the top of running back four range, I'm going to take some exposures to both of those guys because of the overall quality of this backfield in best ball where I don't have to guess who's going to be the guy in a given week. Yeah. I mean, de- definitely fantasy production to be had in this backfield. Like, I guess, you know, in best balls, I would rather just take Tevin Coleman and or Matt Breda later than, you know, than, you know, spending a seventh or eighth round pick on Raheem Mostert. Tevin Coleman to me is a more inter- is a more um, intriguing pick than Jordan Howard or Ronald Jones. Uh, definitely more upside, yeah. Kareem Hunt gets a second round tender from the Browns, so you know again doesn't guarantee until he signs that tender that he's staying in Cleveland, but it looks like that's probably going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, and he's a guy off field stuff aside. I think it might make sense for another team to try to sign him, but I, I don't expect that to happen. I do think Hunt will be back with the Browns, and that that sucks for Hunt and Nick Chubb. I mean. Hunt's going to be stuck in this change of pace role. You know, he, he was running back 16 over the final eight games of last season after he joined the Browns. You know, he, he was doing a lot in the passing game, so that helped. But you know, I think he's going to be tough to rely on as more than a running back three in lineup setting leagues. And then Nick Chubb, you know, his his role in the passing game especially took a hit after Kareem Hunt returned. Uh, Chubb went from four targets per game over the first eight weeks of the season to just 2.1 targets per game after Hunt returned. Um, Nick Chubb was running back 14 in PPR points with Kareem Hunt. So you know, Chubb, Chubb's a guy with Hunt back now. He he drops a few spots down my running back rankings. I agree with that. I think that the Kareem Hunt situation will probably have to wait until at least after the NFL draft to see how it plays out. Unless he feels like he owes the Browns for giving him the shot last year. There's no reason for him to sign that tender before that point. And you know the Browns can afford to wait until then and see what comes to them in the draft. Maybe after that point, it makes sense for another team to pay the second round pick. I, I agree. I don't expect another team to pay a second rounder, um, but it'd be different if it's next year uh, versus this year. And there's also the the chance of a sign and trade. So I, I think that Kareem Hunt's still kind of out in the wind here as far as whether he's a Brown. 
But for current drafting, I think we have to assume that he is a Brown and he's an okay guy down in, you know, wide running back three range, like lower in running back three range. Yeah, I think running back three range makes sense because he can give you that type of production even with a healthy Nick Chubb. And if Chubb goes down, you know, Hunt becomes a running back one. I also think Hunt's probably a good guy to, to see if you can buy right now in Dynasty, just, you know, if his owner's assuming he's going to be stuck in Cleveland behind Nick Chubb. Obviously, some off-field risk with him, but again, you know, still still a young guy. He He's shown he can produce as a running back one, and I think, you know, he's going to get that opportunity again, even if it's not in 2020. The Falcons unsurprisingly released Devontae Freeman because that dude is done, and I continue to not want any part of him in drafts. Yeah, no interest in Freeman. We'll see where he lands, but I think it's going to be as a backup, you know, maybe best case as like the 1B in a committee. Uh, but yeah, I think he's pretty much done. I think the takeaway here is t- to me now, Atlanta looks like the best landing spot for a running back, whether that's Melvin Gordon or a rookie. It is a pass leaning offense, but you know, they've shown they'll target the running back in the passing game and it's a high scoring offense, lots of touchdown upside for whoever lands there. So th- that's what I'll be looking for is um, who Atlanta goes with at running back because right now it's just Brian Hill and Edo Smith. So you're not loading up on Edo Smith right now in best balls? No. Jimmy Graham to the Bears in free agency. And I think this might be the most ridiculous signing so far because of how much money he's gotten. He joined a crowded position in Chicago. Is Jimmy Graham at this point an upgrade over a healthy Trey Burton? I don't see at all how it is. His playing time last year fell off over the final third of the season on a Packers team that didn't have better than him at tight end. So they just decided that having Jimmy Graham on the field less was good for the offense and it worked out helping them get to the conference championship game, including the playoffs over his final eight games. He only averaged 2.2 receptions per game over that span was down under 45% playing time in the playoffs. He's absolutely cooked. Yeah. A, a healthy Trey Burton is, is better than Jimmy Graham at this point in their careers. I, I don't know if a healthy Trey Burton is, is possible anymore. I think that's why Chicago made this move, but I agree. To, to me, it's been the worst signing in free agency so far. Jimmy Graham was, PPR tight end 21 last year as, you know, the lead tight end in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. You know, I I don't expect him to do better than that now that he's in this Bears offense with either Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky. So Graham nearly off the fantasy radar for me, even despite getting a pretty big chunk of change from Chicago. I think Jason Witten would have been a better signing for them (laughs) because they could have gotten him for less and he's at least steady. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Let's finish this on a positive note at tight end, though, because Blake Jarwin got an extension from the Cowboys, who did let Jason Witten walk in. Jason Witten, by the way, signed in another crowded situation in Oakland, which was a signing that didn't make a whole lot of sense for me, especially because not only do the Raiders already have two tight ends ahead of them on the depth chart, they also have two color commentators ahead of them on the depth (laughs) chart in John Gruden and Mike Mayock. But Blake Jarwin's the guy. He got an extension at roughly $8 million per year. So that says to me, he's the guy at tight end in Dallas. And he's been good so far in limited opportunities. Yeah. And Jarwin was a restricted free agent. So, you know, the Cowboys didn't need to give him this extension. They, they could have, you know, slapped him with a tender and, and likely been able to keep him. So I think Dallas is higher on this guy than a lot of us realize. And like you said, he, he has been pretty efficient when he's gotten the ball. So Jarwin... 8.73 yards per target over the last two seasons. That's 11th best among 53 tight ends with 50 plus targets over the last two years. Um, he finished eighth in yards per route run last year among 56 qualifying tight ends. So again, he's been efficient. It's a top five, top three, maybe passing game in the NFL. I do think, you know, targets are going to be somewhat of an issue, but Dallas also lost Randall Cobb. So, you know, it's kind of Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. And then, you know, I, th- I think Jarwin could be the number three guy in targets on this team. Yeah, I think he looks likely to be the number three guy. We'll see if they add anything else. But, you know, Jason Witten's gone. Randall Cobb's gone. That's a lot of targets available. And this is a position where targets don't matter quite as much, especially if the offense remains strong. And Blake Jarwin can draw the scoring opportunities that Jason Witten got last year that helped to boost his fantasy profile. Yeah, it would not be surprising at all to see Jarwin score six, seven times this season. So to to me, another guy... You know, in that tight end two pool that is, is really as big this season as it's been in a long time. I think you can definitely wait at tight end and drafts and grab, you know, two or three of these guys. Yeah, and I would go ahead and buy Blake Jarwin when you can right now in best ball. Cause I think as more people are doing projections and drafting and talking about this stuff, I think Blake Jarwin's probably gonna rise in the collective consciousness too, and maybe even get into the top twelve at some point. Yep, I think so. He, he's a sleeper for now, but by the time we hit August, he won't be a sleeper. 
yeah, sleepers tend to wake up. That's going to do it for this free agency roundup edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now for coverage of every fantasy-relevant move on either side of the ball in the Shark Bites section. You can bet we'll be refreshing our early rankings, digging into projections in the coming weeks, and you can also check back daily for a new Dan- Dynasty Prospect Scouting Report as we speak, you can find 14 profiles of potential impact rookies on DraftSharks.com. All those are free. Many more to come, so check them out. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaufstein. Thanks so much for swimming with us.